You know, it's great being post-COVID. <laughs> COVID is no fun. Uh, so I get to be back here and no fever. That's all good. We are still in this series on the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at speaking in tongues, which for those who are familiar with it, have they, they have all kinds of of thoughts or questions or experiences, and then there are those who have no idea. Why would you talk about that? That's just so weird. the The idea is the, the Greek word for this glossolalia is has to do with languages. So speaking, it's, it's just it has to do with that particular thing. In this case, it's a special type of language or languages that a person will begin to utter and they are moved by this and so we're going to identify what speaking in tongues is and uh, see what what happened in those early days in the first century when this arrived when when God is at work in those early uh, people those early Christians that's when this shows up so we're going to take a take a look through that so if you've had questions maybe this will answer them if not it should stir some up won't answer everything but it'll it'll give you a a idea of how this fit into that that world and uh, it'll be a little different than the modern version of all of that in terms of the contemporary uh, feelings on it so if you can whatever your feelings are on or thoughts on speaking in tongues, just set them aside for a little bit while we take a look at this and see how this develops and and see what God does with this. So, all right, let's take a look. Speaking in tongues. Prohibition. Not the one in America in the 20s. Prohibition from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39 So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Well, bummer. For some people, eh, no, just keep them, lay them aside, whatever those feelings are. Let's start with that. And now we're going to look at sources. Sources of ecstatic languages. Because these are coming from different places. These are not just one thing. Uh, they, they exist all over the world. They have, through time, different cultures, different eras. This is uh, uh, it's not a new thing. So, we're going to start with the spurious. You know, we have spurious and sanctioned. So we've got... Uh, different things happening here, but the spurious ones, the illegitimate in terms of what God's doing, ones are motivated by, at times, gods of this world. So we've talked about that in terms of the, the other principalities and powers, the evil spirits. There are other entities, spiritual entities that exist in this plane and this world that have influence and they can at times move on people and bring out different expressions and it may be languages maybe utterances but they have been around since the beginning of all of this 
So they've been around humans. Uh, some of these were, were here before the world was made. Some showed up some later, the evil spirits. And so we've got centuries of observing people, learning languages. And for us, we can look at English and, and we read Shakespeare or a, a King James Bible from 1611 and go, that English is different. It's not exactly the same language. You go back another two or three hundred years, you start getting into Old English, Middle English, and you're going, I, I don't even know what that, what that is. It's the same language. It's English. And then if you jump over to German or Italian or Chinese, and you start, wow. Well, what if you were around for a couple thousand, three thousand, four thousand years? Could you pick up another language or two? How strange would it be that another being is able to pass on other languages or utterances through a human being if they know all these other languages. Not too hard. It's what they do. So they can do that. That's, that's one uh, possibility. Ecstatic language is another possibility. People can get emotional, and they will just exude, get so excited that things just begin begin to just pour out of them. And, you know, if you get scared, you've probably had some words to say. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, probably some words. So there are expressions, there are things that just come. But if you're emotional and caught up in an emotion, ecstatic language is something that can happen as well. It just happens emotionally and in, 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 with people. Brain injury is another. So if somebody has, has had an accident or high fever or other things have happened to them, their brain is acting up, and it's finding a way to express, and it vocalizes. So you got all kinds of things that are happening. Those, those are possibilities for different languages and, and different religions and ecstatic moments. Those things can, can rise up, and some brought on by, by evil spirits, the gods of this world. So we've got, we've got ways of these things happening that are out there, that exist all around us. The sanctioned one, however, comes from the God of heaven. So the God of heaven is going to provide a different kind of information, a different way of speaking for different purpose. Is, it, is he the only one? No, because everything's being copied. The, the evil one and the evil ones know what God is up to in many cases. So copies are made. Copies of religion. Oh, let's see. If we're going to do Satan, let's see. How can we do that? We can do it with a cross, or we could turn the cross upside down. How clever. He didn't have anything better than that. Copies. It, so if we see some other these things erupting in different places, it's not like, oh, God just couldn't protect his own. Eh, the enemy's out there. And those things are going to pop up. So all around us, different spurious, questionable kinds of ecstatic languages exist. But there is a sanctioned one comes through what God is doing. So we go to where tongues began. When the sanctioned version of this doesn't mean that there weren't some ecstatic and some other language things happening earlier. But this is when the moment when the Holy Spirit shows up, the church begins, and God uses people speaking in tongues to begin the church. Acts chapter 2. It all starts in Acts chapter 2. So in uh, verses 2 to 4, and then what looked like flames 
tongues or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present, there's 120 of them gathered in the upper room, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So here's the God of heaven who said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, hey, I'm sending an advocate, I'm sending a helper, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. Wait till he comes. He came. Wait till he comes in power. He came in power. He comes and they do this. They speak in tongues. That's really a bummer for those who maybe have bad feelings about this. They speak in tongues. And they're speaking different languages. So this whole thing is new to them. They've been quietly sitting up there praying in Aramaic, maybe in Hebrew, Greek. But that, this is a whole different thing. And so it has just erupted and explodes within them and it just comes out. And now they're all speaking. So the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They didn't get all excited. They didn't jump up and down. They didn't have to ring uh, chimes. That's some practices in other religions. They didn't have to do enough loud music with drum beats to generate the enthusiasm, another practice in other religions, to get to this point. They're just 9 o'clock in the morning, praying, spending some time together with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit comes, and then all of a sudden they are speaking in other languages. And there's not even the quiet ones who'd sit off in the corner. They're, they're not just sitting there staring at this going, whoa, what are they doing? This is so embarrassing. They're all speaking in tongues. They're all speaking another language as the Holy Spirit is at work in them. So the God of heaven has shown up in power and that's what's unfolding. This is what comes together. So there's a harmony of human languages. This is Acts, still in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 6. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And this is all the people outside uh, in Jerusalem. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. These people have come in from different countries to worship at the temple. And they are hearing these people speak as these languages are being spoken about God, about Jesus. They're praising God. They're telling the good news that Jesus has come, died for sins, risen from the dead. All of those things are being said. Things, things are just on. And they're hearing it. And, and so here, in opposition to the Tower of Babel, where they all spoke one language, and then God has to come down and divide them by languages, and then they take off in different ways, God is now giving language and being able to communicate through all these different languages this good news. And he's passing it on to them. So there's a harmony bringing them together as, this, as the tongues are being spoken. So that's unfolding. That's the beginning of the church. People are coming to Jesus as a result of this. It becomes a, a moment that defines what God is doing through Jesus. After Jesus has died, has risen, has, he's moved into the presence of the Father, so he has ascended to heaven, and now he's turning his church loose, and he said, I'm going to build my church, and this is it. This is what he chooses to do. It's, and it's through this, the means of the Holy Spirit doing this. So the gift of the Spirit for the nations. And this is 
this is the big gift. So this is where we need to come back to always when we're thinking about what is the gift of the Spirit? Because sometimes we, we kind of get off on what's my gift, what would make me cool, what would be helpful to me. And this is a whole different way of looking at this. Acts 10, uh, verses 44 to 46. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. So just that part. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what God the Father has arranged. Jesus coming to earth, accomplishing what he did. That's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to those who turn to the living God, who believe in Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to have that relationship with him, to connect with him, to know him. That's, that's the gift. And then there's more to that. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. That was the indication to them that the, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, were also included in the thing that God was doing. So it's not just the Jewish people, the Jewish believers. This is coming on the Gentiles who now believe in Jesus, and it's they're speaking in tongues too. But they're praising God. They're, they're speaking uh, in tongues, but their tongues are all about praise. This is uh, elevating the Lord. It's honoring Him. It's remembering Him. It's thanking him, and they're responding out of their excitement, out of of this renewed heart that they've just received. They are excited about this whole thing, and that's what's happening as these tongues are being brought forth in Acts chapter 10. So from 2 to 10, we have a little bit of a difference. So what is the development of speaking in tongues so far as we've as we've covered this. Tongues are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit doing this. So it's, that's the source. We're not going with exuberance. It's not, this isn't the gods of this world. This isn't brain injury. This is God at work. So tongues are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And tongues helps the Christians in Jerusalem share the gospel in various languages with other Jews. So the Jewish people, well, there'll be proselytes in there too, but they've come from, they've been scattered throughout the world. And so all these nations that they've been moved into speak different languages. And yet they all come to Jerusalem to worship the one true God at the temple. And so they're gathered there. And then this group of people, this 120 people, come rolling out of the upper room, speaking in these different languages, and these people hear them in their own language from all the countries that they've come from. So, helps the Christians in Jerusalem share the gospel in various languages with other Jews. That's happening as well, so the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, different languages, and then helps the new believer who is not Jewish, praise God in tongues. So now this tongues in Acts chapter 10 is about uh, giving God praise, but it's, it's still in tongues. The Holy Spirit is indicating that he is there, he is present. Peter knows he was at the first one in Acts 2, and he says the same thing. But they're not speaking different languages. And Cornelius and his family, they're, 
They probably they speak Greek and they probably speak Latin. He's a Roman, but they're not speaking a different. They're not speaking languages that are human, understandable. This is a whole different thing that's unfolding here. And he recognizes it, but that's God, the Holy Spirit, revealing himself, manifesting through them, and they're speaking in tongues. So that it helps to see a couple of those. So that's the development of tongues, speaking in tongues to that point. And then tongues for speaking to God. And we go to 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, verse 2. And Paul writes to the people there, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people... So it's people won't be able to understand you. You will speaking. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So he's talking to people in the church in Corinth, and they're speaking in tongues, and he's addressing that in chapters twelve, thirteen, fourteen. And here he's saying, "Well, you know, it's just that they don't. Why wouldn't they understand them? Don't." Don't tongues always speak in ways that everybody understands because it's in everybody's language? No, that was Acts chapter 2. What happened in Acts chapter 10? They didn't do it that way. They spoke in tongues that spoke praise to God. So what's happening in 1 Corinthians 14? They're, they're praising God, but it's mysterious because the other people don't understand it. Well, that kind of... That's kind of a problem. What's happening in Corinth is they, they are immersed in a world in the first century uh, with a pantheon of gods that exist in their world. So that's what they're used to. That's, that's the thing that they know about. If you were born in, and lived your life from 1812 to 1875... Would you know about a 57 Chevy? But if you were born later, would you know in the 21st century, would you know about Toyota, Honda, Ford? Yeah. Does it make a difference to know what they knew at that time? What they were experiencing? Because our big problem is using anachronisms, assuming that what we experience is what they experience, what we know is what they knew. Ain't so. So to look backwards on some of these things is going to get us in trouble. What did they know? What was the world they lived in? They lived in a world in which there were other gods. The Corinthians lived in a world in which the other gods had control of the things in their world, understanding how the earth existed, how things grew, plants. How, how, do, you, how do you get... Your your crops to grow. How do you get the water to fall? How do you get your crops in so you have enough to eat all winter? How do you take care of your flocks, your herds? How do you get transport from one place to another to move goods? Which we should understand now is a big deal. If they re- all the ships set off L.A., it's a problem. The shelves go empty. What happens in Corinth if the ships from Rome don't make it or the ones from the Middle East don't make it over what happens to them? Same thing. The shelves are empty. Does it make a difference? Yes. 
Who moves that? Where's Poseidon, the god of the sea? What happens if you infuriate Zeus? What happens if the god in charge of fertility isn't worshipped? So if you're coming from, well, there's one true God, they should know, they're just idiots. That's the world they lived in. What just got introduced to them is, there's Jesus. There's one true God. They knew about a most high, they just had the wrong one. So now they've learned about the most high God. Their practice of worship is based on the world that they've lived in and the way they've understood things. Within that world... To practice worship, to get understanding on guidance. So should I marry this girl? Should I move to this place? Should I start this business? Should I buy that ship? Whatever those things are, should I go to the god Apollo and get get an answer so I have guidance? So you have to go, you make a deal with the priest, you, make a, you give your offering, and they go in and they get something from... Uh, one of the uh, priestesses or whoever's in the back room on a drug or inhaling different things, and then they speak utterances, which may be like speaking in tongues. And then somebody interprets that and brings you a little copy, and they put it in a poetic form, and they give you your answer, and they hand it to you. But they're speaking in tongues. What if they are into the party scene? And the Roman version of uh, a, a Bacchus feast, so they're doing a lot of, and Dionysus for the Greek side, they're drinking a lot of wine and the parties are going on. And part of the worship is to get so ecstatic and, and caught up in the exuberance of all this worship. And then there's, there's beating of uh, drums. There are symbols that are involved when we get to 1 Corinthians 13. What if I could speak and, and the, but that would just be a sound like a gong? Huh. I wonder where that came from. It's part of their worship. This is the practices that they have. They are used to the excitement, the the jumping up and down, the falling over, the uh, speaking in tongues, it just all of that is part of it. And they're using, some of them are using some kind of drug, some of them are using uh, lots of extra wine, they're partying, all of this, it's, but it's in, the, in that, this is worship. This isn't like, oh, that's immoral, oh, we're bad, oh, we're... This is worship to them. Now they've come into the church. And people want them to put on three-piece suits and act properly. Do you think they know what in the world is going on? Nope. Because that's a new world to them. They have just been introduced to the one true God. Jesus has set them free. They have come into this new life in Christ. And they have to worship and worship together and, and join in with other people, some of them are Jewish, so they have a different way of worshiping than the people coming from the Greek world who have been worshiping all these other gods. So what happens with these tongues? And they find out 
when they're speaking in tongues, that that is so reminiscent of the things that they've ex- experienced, and so they're excited about that and and want to make that a big thing. And Paul is saying, you know what? We need to we need to look at this. You are speaking, and he's not saying don't do it. He just says. You are speaking to God, and other people can't understand you. So if other Greek people come come in to join, they don't know what you're talking about. You're just all excited, but you're not helping anybody. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. 1 Corinthians 14.2 So here's some views on speaking in tongues, because we've run into this. Speaking in tongues is evidence of a true believer. Now, that's, I'm moving us now into contemporary times. How do we approach this as, as churches, as believers in our world? How do we approach this? So here, here we're going to go with two ends. Speaking in tongues is evidence of a true believer. So if you don't speak in tongues, you do not know Jesus. Are you getting that? Okay. Speaking in tongues is evidence... Of you being a true believer. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Huh. So that's one end. There's another end. Don't speak in tongues. Just don't. You're an idiot. You're wrong. You're moved by the devil. Don't speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.39 Don't forbid speaking in tongues. So what do the don't speak in tongues people say? It's not biblical. Oh, wait a minute. We just covered a whole bunch of stuff that says it is biblical. It was the first big sign of the church, of the Holy Spirit coming. Why in the world would it be unbiblical for people to practice something God said when the power of the Holy Spirit comes? Man, that's the sign. That's the deal. Proved it to the Jews. Proved it to the Gentiles. Went round the world. And then we have the gall to say, don't. Speak in tongues because we are biblical. See any problems here? I think there's a bunch of confessing on knees need to be done. A lot of it. Humble hearts. Maybe a bunch of apologies going out to some folks. Because that is really clear. Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Because the problem isn't tongues. It isn't the problem of the Holy Spirit messing up and giving people things that they don't need. Or, that's not the deal. This is a real thing. It's a gift or a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our gift that God has given us so that we can know Him better. And he is revealing himself in a variety of ways, and he's doing that through tongues as well. This ability to speak languages, and in this case, in in 1 Corinthians 14, to be able to praise 
to speak to God, as he said. This, this is the ability to speak in tongues. You're only speaking to God. It's not really helpful for the other people. That's why he adds in, you know, we need a, if you have an interpreter and you're speaking in tongues, then the interpreter can say what God has to say to the whole group or interpret what you said so that the whole group can kind of understand it. But he's not saying don't speak in tongues. He's just saying there's a place, there's a time, there's a, a way of handling this, and that's, that's, a whole different, that's a whole different approach to this, to the tongue-speaking thing. Um, what to do about the gift of tongues? What to do about the gift of tongues? Let me give you some little statements here. Acknowledge the gift and appreciate that some have the gift. Not everybody speaks in tongues. We just saw that. Not everybody speaks in tongues. So it's obvious that speaking in tongues is not the evidence of every true believer. Now, that that started the church off? Yeah, 120 of them all at once. Is that the evidence for everybody? No, because we've gone way past that, and that's not it the rest of the time. Do they... Uh, is it something that we should appreciate? Yeah, we've got the Holy Spirit. He's shown up and he has worked this in people. And he's given it to people. So acknowledge that the gift is there. Appreciate those that have it. If you don't have it, okay. If somebody else has it, thank God they have it. Just don't prohibit the speaking of tongues. Allow the Spirit to determine who, when, and where the gift is applied. Allow the Spirit to determine who, when, and where the gift is applied. He is perfectly capable of handling that, of dispensing these gifts and, and dispensing the ability or manifesting himself in such a way that people can speak. And he may give somebody the ability to speak different languages, uh, human languages, First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that even if I speak the, the human languages or the language or the tongues of angels, so there's a heavenly language as well. That's not to just muttering, because some people think that may be it. But there's a language of heaven. There's a language that everybody on earth spoke at one time until Babel, remember? All one. So that language is spoken in heaven, and the angels speak. There's a possibility that the Holy Spirit will give that to a person, and they can speak that language. They can speak human languages, and God may, or the Holy Spirit may determine that a person needs to be able to do that. Who, when, where. He's going to apply that and allow them to speak. Do they have the ability uh, to determine when and how and what language they're going to speak? Yeah, if they take a college course or go immerse themselves in Spain, they can speak Spanish. That's how you do that. If the Holy Spirit one's going to show up, it's going to be immediate, and it's something you haven't learned, and, it, and it's going to be because he wants to accomplish something in that moment. And it may be just the praise language, if it's that he knows who, who, when, and where. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, you know, you guys are acting out. You're just all going off at one time. He says, just slow that down. 
Where did they learn that? That's how they've worshipped. That's their life. That's what they've known. So now he's saying, you've got to reel that back in. Is this the same problem that they had in Jerusalem or when they were spreading out in the church in Judea? No, those were Jewish worshipers used to a synagogue. Do you know how much racket you're going to make in a synagogue? We're talking going to an Episcopal church, folks. This is going to be quiet. You're going to stand when you're supposed to. You're going to sit down. Do it in order. Synagogue. Okay, we get to Corinth. Oh, my gosh. Turn it loose. And he's saying, nope. Nope. The gift is real. Holy Spirit's at work. Not saying you don't have it. But you also have the willpower to control that. So 1 Corinthians 14 is about reeling that in and using the gift properly. Actually, the whole issue of gifts or the manifestations are being spoken of within the context of love. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 has to do with. I know you use it at weddings, but it's actually about how do you have these manifestations break loose and you just do it because, hey, I'm cool, I've got this, I've got this ability. He's saying, hmm, not without love. Not without love. That's what controls it. And do everything in order. So there's a place, there's a time, there's appropriate space when these things can happen. And you're invited to use them. All the manifestations at those times. And, by the way, do not prohibit, do not prohibit speaking in tongues. Is he saying don't prohibit it when anybody just feels like doing it? Oh, no. Oh, no. Address abuses of the gift. That's what he's doing. Because these gifts were being abused. Uh, speaking in tongues was being abused. And he's, he's absolutely right. No, we can't accomplish what God has sent us here to do in love if everybody feels the need to be expressing themselves because of their uh, desire, their ego, their pride, or whatever else is driving them, or just they're, they're used to worshiping that way. We're not doing that. We're not worshiping Dionysus here. This is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to do it properly. That's what he's called them to do. So addressing the abuses, proper. Should everyone with the gift of tongues be free to just go crazy with it? Not at all. Is there a right way to do it? Yeah. Has the Holy Spirit stopped giving it out? Nope. Appreciate that the gift may manifest as known languages for missional purposes. For missional purposes. Unknown languages for prayer and praise. Interpreted language for encouragement of the church. Appreciate that the gift may manifest as known languages for missional purposes. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. Is that the only time ever in the history of the world that that's happened? No, you can hear some missionary stories. They'll talk about, man, all of a sudden I speak that language to the Ugubaga people on that island. And Oh my gosh, how cool is that? Happens. Missional purposes. Is it always supposed to be for missional purposes? Nope. 
He has different reasons for different, these different ways that he manifests. Unknown languages for prayer and praise. That's people, individuals at home and their private prayers. And maybe in, in small groups as people gather together, they can exercise uh, tongues in a, in a prayer and praise time. They may even sing in tongues. And it, all of those things, are, they have their place. In the church, Paul is encouraging having the interpreter there. So don't speak in tongues if you don't have an interpreter. And interpreted language and interpreted tongues is for the encouragement, the building up of the church. That's 1 Corinthians 14. So that if you, if you can do that, then it's, it's no longer just a big, it's not just a bunch of noise that people who may be coming in have no idea. They're not edified. The whole purpose of these different manifestations is for the good of the whole. So to get everyone encouraged and everyone built up, we need something different. So we need an interpreter. And, and he said, don't do too many, even in Corinth where he's trying to slow them down a little bit. He said, you know, maybe three in order. Take turns. That should give you a clue as to what was going on in there and how, how this thing was out of control. But he's just trying to bring it back down. He's not saying it doesn't exist it's not that, or that it's not good or that people shouldn't practice it or prohibit it. In fact, he goes you know, clear about how this is, this is real. The Holy Spirit does this. Does that mean that some don't slip in who are ecstatic in their language? Or, or that they start making uh, sounds, utterances. Yeah, that could do that. Is that the Holy Spirit giving them that? Nah, no. How could we generate that? I don't know, but if we had enough music, loud enough, long enough, people begin to take on a whole different kind of emotional state. It happens at concerts. It can happen with a group of people in a church. So it could be manufactured. Does the evil one ever see people in church and think, man, I should get them to just speak out, utter something? Yeah, because he wants to divide, destroy, so he'll do that too. That, that, that's another manifestation, uh, being able to determine which spirits are behind what. But that's not today's topic. So, what to do about the gift of tongues? Acknowledge, acknowledge the gift and appreciate that some have the gift. Allow the Spirit to determine who, when, and where the gift is applied. Address abuses of the gift. Appreciate that the gift may manifest as known languages for missional purposes, unknown languages for prayer and praise, interpreted language for encouragement of the church. Now, there's probably a whole lot more to that, but... That would be too much to write down. So that's enough for now. Tongues. Hopefully, if we understand that and appreciate them, there wouldn't be so much fighting about it. You just say, you know what? God's got a plan here. Let's go with him and see what he does with this. Because God's got... He just loves us. And he has something in store. And uh, tongues are part of it. Tongues are part of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us some time together, time to look into your word. Thank you for the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is just remarkable. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who has come, who has 
brought us into this relationship with you, who guides and directs us, and Lord, teaches us from your word as well. It is just such a blessing. And we thank you for him, for you, in Jesus' name, amen.